As I went about my usual process of working on the gospel text and the other scriptures to prepare the weekend sermon, I found myself fixated on the killing spree that took place in a public school in Florida. And I had to ask the question, where is the good news in this tragedy? Then one evening, I remembered what a college philosophy professor once said. In every kind of community, all are in a social contract with each other. Now, granted, that's not an earth-shaking statement. But if given some thought and put into action, it can be revolutionary. Consider a simple example. When we are out driving, as in today, with the conditions we have, all of us expect everyone shall stop at a red light, at a stop sign, obey the speed limits, drive according to the nature of the weather, not be impaired by drugs or alcohol. We extend these mutual expectations to wherever we drive. This social contract gives us some assurance that all will be reasonably safe. And if one refuses to adhere to this social contract, we empower our law enforcement people and our legal system to deal with the violators. Take another example. We implicitly trust that our technical schools, our colleges, our universities give diplomas only to those who have demonstrated the requisite knowledge and skills to successfully engage in their chosen professions. There is a social contract between these institutions and ourselves. And what does this do? It allows us to put trust in the doctor who examines us the surgeon who will cut into our body, the pharmacist to dispense the right medication, the nurse who will monitor our recovery, the mechanic who will keep our vehicle operating properly, the teacher who will instruct our children and monitor them, the pilot that will fly us across the country or around the globe, the lawyer who will defend our interests, the architect, who designs our homes and the places where we work, the police who protect us. This social contract allows us the freedom we need to advance both as individuals and as a society. But when someone like Nicholas Cruz comes to the point of his life where he takes an AR-15 assault weapon into a school with the intent of killing as many people as possible, we have to ask, where did the social contract break down? And if it broke down for him, is it breaking down for others right now? What we know about Nicholas is sad and disturbing. He was orphaned and adopted at a young age, suggesting he probably suffered from some kind of psychological trauma early on. Then his adoptive father died. In November of last year, his adoptive mother died. He was shuffled among relatives for a while and then taken in by a school friend's family. 
He had to deal with both grief, a sense of not belonging to anyone, and a lack of stability. He joined a white supremacist group, perhaps, perhaps, hoping to find something, someone he could belong to. He received treatment at a mental health facility about a year before the shooting. The sheriff's office in his community received at least 20 phone calls to ask for intervention to deal with Nicholas's behavior. He had a fascination with guns and legally obtained an AR-15 assault rifle. He was in trouble with school authorities and eventually expelled. He came to the attention of the FBI when he made a comment allegedly on YouTube that he wanted to be a professional school shooter. If that doesn't give everyone a chill up and down your spine, something's wrong. And recently, the FBI made the very rare admission that it did not follow up on Nicholas as it should have, and I have no doubts that all kinds of people shall be quick to jump on that admission. But I think we could argue there were red flags all through this young man's life, going back to his childhood, and I suspect there are other admissions of guilt that need to be made. For example, would things have turned out differently if the social contract that each person had with one another in that community compelled people in the school system, community outreach programs, social service programs, church programs, to intervene early on when Nicholas lost his parents or again, when he lost his adoptive parents? Would things have turned out differently if someone had taken notice and got Nicholas involved early on in programs like the Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA youth programs? Or if a disciple of Jesus Christ, whatever the church, reached out and invited him to attend their church and its youth programs? along with their family. Would things have turned out differently if someone, a disciple of Jesus, took the risk of becoming Nicholas's mentor to help guide him? I realize, of course, there is a built-in futility in asking such questions. The what if scenario. But in this case, and those of other young people who target schools, the questions may have value because the social contract, or if you wish to use biblical language, the covenant relationship that we have with each other in our communities assumes we not only have expectations of one another, we also have responsibilities to each other. And this is where the gospel for the first Sunday of Lent spoke to me. Jesus tells us, repent, believe in the gospel. And 
The word gospel literally translates as good news. And what is the good news? God loves us. We are all called out of darkness into light. We are redeemed. Our humanity is infused with nothing less than the divinity of Jesus. We have an eternal dignity and an eternal destiny. And believing in Jesus automatically makes us part of his church, which he personally established upon the Apostle Peter, a church comprised of fragile, fallen human beings, a church called to embrace all, whatever our many differences, however serious, and even if they are irreconcilable. And that means in this, our community, our church, there also exists a social contract, a covenantal relationship with each other. And so we need to ask, do we allow the good news to move our conscience? Do we need to repent of our failures to live up to the social contract, the covenant relationship we have in our church by falling for the temptation to not get involved when we see something is wrong in a person's life? thinking, it's really none of my business? Do we need to repent of the temptation to reject programs we know that work, that can help a child or a young person through turbulent times simply because they're too expensive? Essentially, placing money is more important than the care of souls. Do we need to repent of our silence? when we had reasonable suspicions that something was going terribly wrong with a person, a neighbor's family, a child, an elderly person in our community, and made no effort to check it out, offer support, or call for help. I'm afraid that a great deal of time and energy shall be spent on blaming one institution or another will reduce the tragedy in Florida to a matter of gun control laws. And while those are legitimate concerns, it would be far more fruitful if we asked harder questions. What are our responsibilities to each other in our community? Will we overcome the temptation to not get involved and speak up? Will we resist the temptation to judge community programs only by their costs? The social contract, the covenantal relationship that all have with each other failed Nicholas Cruz, possibly from his early childhood, where intervention might have made a significant change. What happened cannot be undone. But is it possible that right now, here in Buffalo or in KC, we are failing a child, a young adult, an elderly person? Is it possible? Because that can be changed. <laughs>